I'm so glad that there are those of you who, um, who have talked about how transformative this has been for you. Um, I, I, you know, I, I can't emphasize enough how encouraged I am by the stories, by the stories of how people have just been transformed by this. I was just getting, um, you know, every now and then I'll say this, I don't have, I just don't have the bandwidth. I don't have the bandwidth to go on, on, um, on, on the messages because I get thousands of messages a day on IG and on TikTok, And so I'm not able to, to, you know, you know, stay up to date and then to follow up with you guys, There's too many messages coming at me. And so that's why I love my Patreon community because, you know, it's smaller, it's a smaller group. It's more manageable. I get, I get to actually be intimate and close with a, a group of people. And so it's easier there. I know more of you are joining now and I'm getting more messages from you, but I try to stay as connected as I can with you all on Patreon. But I do every now and then um, go through my messages on IG and on TikTok. And it's just been, man, I'm so encouraged. Or there are those of you who text me. By the way, if you're looking to text me, just text me at 954-231-1848. 954-231-1848. Um, but I am, I am profoundly encouraged. Encouraged by each and every one of you who have shared testimony of how this morning, Read and Rant, what we do every morning, the few hundred of you that join us every morning for the Read and Rant, how it's transformed your lives, how it's turned things around for you. And how now you're learning how to read scripture and how to just engage with God through the reading of scripture. This is not a Bible study. Okay. This is not a Bible study. Um, this is a meditation of scripture and to meditate means you have to posture yourself to receive. You have to posture yourself to receive from God in the reading of the word. And so today we're going to posture ourselves to receive from God. And the way we establish that posture, we can do it very simply by asking three questions. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? Just pray that as we spend this time in reading, God, what are you revealing concerning people? And then the third question is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? So, so pray that, okay? These are things I want you to be praying for um, as we uh, engage in the word today. And I pray it will transform you. I've got nothing prepared, nothing planned. We're just going to go where the Lord leads. And we're reading through the book of Psalms. We read from Genesis and now we're in the book of Psalms and we're in Psalm 71. So draw your attention to Psalm 71 as I read. And I'll read a few of the Psalms and then we'll just spend some time in reflection. I want to pray before we get started. Father, I just ask as we engage in this word, Father, I pray, Lord, for your divine provision. I pray, Lord, for your um, divine wisdom. I pray, Lord, for impartation. I pray, Lord, that you would... Uh, impute upon us, Lord, insert into us, Lord, your grace, your wisdom, your knowledge, your insight, your heart, your will, your desire for us and for your children. Father, I just pray, Lord, that we would be convicted uh, by your word. I pray, Lord, that it would not be simply us inserting ourselves, but you inserting yourself into us, Father, exegete us. <laughs> Lord, just, you know, expose every part of us that needs to be exposed. And Lord, reveal to us where we need you today. Convict us where we need conviction. Correct us where we need correction. Encourage us where we need encouragement that we may be blessed in this time. And I ask that in your name we pray. Amen. Psalm 71. Let us read. 
Let us see what the Lord has to say to us today. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be my strong refuge to which I may resort continually. You have given the commandment to save me. You are my rock, my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. But you, sorry, by you I have upheld from birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. I have become as a wonder to many, but you are my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. For my enemies speak against me and those who lie in wait for my life take counsel together, saying, God has forsaken him. Pursue and take him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, do not be far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. Let them be confounded and consumed who are adversaries of my life. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek my hurt. But I will will hope continually and I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day. For I do not know their limits. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, of yours only. Hmm. Oh God, you have taught me from my youth. And to this day, I declare your wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, oh Lord, do not forsake me. Until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. Also, your righteousness, oh God, is very high. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have shown me great and severe troubles shall revive me again. Bring me up again from the depths of the earth. You shall increase my greatness. Comfort me on every side. Also, with the lute, I will praise you and your faithfulness, O my God. To you, I will sing with the harp, O Holy One of Israel. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you and my soul, which you have redeemed. My tongue also shall talk of your righteousness all day long, for they are confounded, for they shall be brought to shame who seek my hurt. Psalm 72. Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy and will break in pieces the oppressor. They shall fear you. As long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations, he shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing, like showers that water the earth. In his days, the righteous his, the righteousness, sorry, in his days, the righteous shall flourish in abundance of peace until the moon is no more 
He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and all the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall before him. All nations shall serve him, for he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and needy and will save the souls of the needy. He will deliver, sorry, he will redeem their life from oppression and violence, and precious shall be their blood in his sight. And he shall live. The gold of Sheba will be given to him. Prayer will be made for him continually, and daily he shall be praised. There will be an abundance of grain in the earth. On the top of the mountains, the, its fruit shall wave like Lebanon. And those of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun. And men shall Sorry, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Hmm. The prayers of the son of Jesse are ended. Um, we just finished book two in, in the book of Psalms. I just want to give you a quick little update here. For those of you who are reading um, with me, you know that I'm kind of journeying through the entire Bible with you. And if you've noticed, the book of Psalms is not really a book. The book of Psalms is a collection of songs. The book of Psalms is a you know, I call it the mixtape. It's a mixtape. It's a collection of songs that's, that have been curated. Notice that have been curated in a way, because it's not chronological, it's thematic. And so it's curated where it's actually a, a collection of books. It's a collection of song books. And these are songs that were sung over and over again. So it's, it's like, you know, like a DJ, you know, when a DJ takes a mixtape or sorry, when a DJ scans his region and his area. Okay. I don't know if any, there are any hip hop heads in here. If there are any hip hop heads in here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So if you're a hip hop head, you know that the local DJ, the one that's got the name, what he does is he, he, he knows the city. He knows what's going on in the city. He knows what the city's going through. He knows everything about the city and about the people in the city. And a good DJ, what he does is, is he sli he scopes out the scene to find the artists and the singers and the writers, and then he gets their songs. And he, a good mixtape DJ, collects all the songs and puts them in a certain order for the person who gets it to listen to it and to hear the message of the street in that moment. This is the message of the street. This is the message of the street for the children of Israel. Okay, and so. What we're seeing is we've seen mixtape one. That was book one. We've read through mixtape two. That was book two in the book of Psalms. I don't know if anybody knew, knew this, that Psalms is broken up into six books. 
And so now we're about to read the third book in the book of Psalms, which starts with Psalm 73. Just want to give you guys a heads up. Okay. So notice how the second book ends. The second book ends with, I, I'm sorry if I take a pause real quick. I just want to make sure you guys know where we're at. Um, um, where it closes with the prayers of David, the son of Jesse are ended. So this book is actually a, a Psalm written by which they, they ascribe the author of this Psalm to Solomon, who anybody knows Solomon was a man of immense wisdom, but he was also the son of David, um, who became the King over Judah, Judah being the, Remember, there's always history behind all of this, okay? Um, and so there's there's history. And so because there's history behind all of it, right? Remember, Israel was broken up into two nations, right? Because of David's sin. Because of David's sin, you had Absalom, who then, uh, Rehoboam, who came after Absalom, established the nation up north with the 10 tribes, which is the nation of Israel. And then the nation in the south um, were the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And so... Solomon became king over the, the tribes of the south. And so they called that nation the nation of Judah. Israel has been split uh, because of David's sin. And so the capital of the north was Samaria. That's where you hear about the Samaritans and all that. So the capital of the north is Samaria, and the capital of the south is Jerusalem. Just giving some background here. Okay. So now you'll begin to understand that what's happening historically and culturally between the, uh, between the North and the South, okay? Because they were divided. And eventually the South were overtaken because the kings were not the kings that reflected the rule, the justice of God, the righteousness of God. And so because they didn't reflect the righteousness of God, these kings, right? They, um, um, sorry, the nation of, of Israel was then overtaken overtaken by a multiplicity of nations. And that's why Samaria, which was the capital, once the Israelites were pulled away, okay, they went to Babylon, they went to Syria, they went to Assyria, some even went to Ethiopia, but we'll get, we'll get back to that. So some were overtaken even by, um, even by, um, um, by, by Northern African regions and Northern African countries. And so now, the void of the children of Israel in those nations brought all the other nations to come in and to occupy those areas. And so that's why, you know, there was always beef between the Samaritans, right? Because again, they represented this, 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 this mixed culture, this mixed breed, a multiplicity of nations and cultures coming together. So they were, they, they didn't have a specific identity. Their identity was deeply uh, Hebrew but their ethnicity was all over the place. Notice they had a Hebrew identity, but a, a multi-ethnic um, um, expression. And because of their multi-ethnic expression, the Israelites or the Hebrews never really accepted them because they were mixed breed people. Okay. And then Jerusalem was the capital of the South. They eventually became one nation. And then Samaria became the one place that they allowed all these people to, to live in. And so, uh, so the Jews, yeah, the, the pure breeds, <laughs> the, the pure breeds in Jerusalem didn't like the half breeds in Samaria. But anyway, I wanted to give you guys some background because, um, uh, 
Solomon writes this psalm, and notice what he says in the end, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. So you can put two and two together there, that this is um, at the end of David's life. And there's some reiteration that, that Solomon is writing even in mourning, okay? And so now we get to Psalm 73, and we begin the, the third book. Okay, the third book of the book of Psalms. <laughs> so it's not the book of Psalms, it's really the books in Psalms. Book three is Psalms 73 through 79. And so let's go ahead and read. I'll read a few more, and then I want to share some thoughts with you guys as we read. But I figured, why not? Why not share a little bit of that? Break that down for you. Sorry. Sorry if I cut you off from your reading, but thought you'd eavesdrop into my thought process. So anyway. Um, Psalm 73, verse one, truly notice how it ends and now see how it, it opens up the next book, the next mixtape DJ who's curated this verse one, truly God is good to Israel to such as a pure in heart. But as for me, my feet are, have almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Hmm. For there are no pangs in their death, but their, but their strength is firm. They are not in troubles as far, sorry, as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here and the waters are a full cup. Sorry, the waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. If, he, if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Mm. Surely you have set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how you are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. 
You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all his works. One last chapter. Psalm 75. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your wondrous works. Declare that your name is near. Hmm. When I choose the proper time, I will judge uprightly. The earth and all its inhabitants are dissolved. I set up its pillars firmly. I said to the boastful, but do not deal boastfully. And to the wicked, do not lift up the horn. Do not lift up your horn on high. Do not speak with a stiff neck. For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge, and he puts down one and exalts another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is fully mixed, and he pours it out. Surely it dregs, sorry, its dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. But I will declare forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked will also be cut off, but the horns of the righteous will be exalted. I'm going to stop right here um, because I want us to go into uh, I want us to go into uh, just a few thoughts here. Um, actually, before I do that, um, I want to read Psalm 74 because I realized I skipped over it. <laughs> so I'm going to read over it. Okay. All right. Um, verse one. Oh, God, why have you cast us forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, the tribe of your inheritance, which you have redeemed, the Mount Zion, where you have dwelt. Lift up your feet to the perpetual desolations. The enemy has damaged everything in the sanctuary. Your enemies roar in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their banners for signs. They seem like men who lift up axes among the thick trees. And now they break down its carved work all at once with axes and hammers. You have set fire to your sanctuary. They have defiled the dwelling place of your name to the ground. They said in their hearts, let us destroy them together. They have burned up all the meeting places of God in the land. We do not see our signs. Huh. There is no longer any prophet nor is there any among us who knows how long. Oh God, how long will the adversary reproach? Will the enemy blaspheme your name forever? Why do you withdraw your hand, even your right hand? Take it out of your bosom and destroy them. For God is my king from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your strength. You broke the heads of the ser sea serpents in the waters. You broke the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gave them as food to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Goodness gracious. You broke open the fountain and the flood. You dried up the mighty rivers. The day is yours. The night also is yours. You have prepared the light and the sun 
and you have set all the borders of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Remember this, that the enemy has reproached, O Lord, and that foolish people has blasphemed your name. Oh, do not deliver the life of your turtle dove to the wild beast. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. Have respect to the covenant. For the dark places of the earth are full of the haunts of cruelty. Oh, do not let the oppressed return to shame. Let the poor and needy praise your name. Arise, O God, plead your cause. Remember how foolish, how the foolish man reproaches you daily. Do not forget the voice of your enemies. Tumult of those who rise against you and increases continually. The word of God. The word of God. If there's anything that I'm reminded of today is that God is in control. God is in control. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're dealing with, even if it doesn't look like it's going the way you want it to go, even if it's painful, even if you just seem to be losing it and everything seems to be falling apart around you. God is in control. That's the one thing that I'm compelled by in the reading of this word. I'm compelled by this reality. Because often when we look at the situations in our lives, what we see is we see things falling apart. And when we see things falling apart, what happens is, is that we fall into um, this tendency to try to take control of the situation. You will know what your idols are and what your proclivities are when you're going through stressful situations, painful situations, difficult situations. The real person comes out when you're going through it. That's just facts. The real person comes out when life isn't going the way that you want it to go. People can fake the funk when life is easy. It's when it gets hard. That's when the real you comes out. And that's why it takes trials and difficulties and challenges to dredge out of you the things in you that don't represent Jesus Christ. It's when you actually go through stuff that you begin to go, oh, snap. I didn't know that was still in me because it is in you and God wants to pull it out of you. Not everything that's going wrong is meant for, you know, your destruction. Actually, anything that's going on is meant for the glory of God. All things, this is what the scriptures say, all things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to your purpose, not your purpose. No. <laughs> is that what the scripture says? No, that is not what the scripture says. All things work for the good, for the glory of God. It's for those who love him and it's for his glory. So therefore, if we're going through stuff, we're not going through stuff because, you know, uh, you know, uh, I guess God is trying to show me how to do better. Maybe it's God showing you what's in you that needs to come out of you 
Because fire, you know, when we talk about this, I know people have joked about it, you know, about the refining fire. And we've joked about how that song, y'all, y'all heard that song, the Maverick City song, right? I want to be tried by fire. And yet that's what the scriptures tell us, that we're tried by fire. And I think it's funny because we we talk about it like, no, I don't want to be tried by fire. I don't want to go through stuff. I don't want to go through anything, right? Who, who, who can say, I don't want to go through, I don't want to go through stuff. I don't want to go through nothing, okay? Can I just have the easy road? Can life just be easy? Can I just, can I just have a comfortable life? Can it just be, man, you know, it's funny how we chase comfort. Like we, we chase comfort as if what's comfortable is what's better. What if discomfort is what's going to challenge you to be better, to do better? What if it's your season of pain and and discomfort that's going to draw out the things in you that need to be drawn out. That's going to expose the things in you that need to be exposed. And maybe the season of pain that you're going through is a season of learning. Not about why you're going through the pain, but learning about what's in you that needs to be removed. How you get into this, Pastor Isaac? How, how you get into this when you, when, when, when you read this text? I told you already. And I've said this a multiplicity of times, but I'll say it once more for those who are new, for those who are here for the first time, for those of you who may not know what we do here, where every day we're reading through scripture, but don't read the book of Psalms without the backdrop of the history. There's a historical narrative that undergirds these books, these chapters. I, you know, I say the book of Psalms is really the books of Psalms because they're uh, multiple books. We're, we just read the third book. We just started reading the third book in the book of Psalms. Okay, from chapter to chapter to chapter to chapter. And each book has a theme. Each book, you know, maybe we can break that down sometime. Maybe we can talk through it. But each book is is speaking into something. But there's one thing that's consistent all the way throughout. The one thing that's consistent all the way throughout is that this book is written by people in the midst of their challenges and difficulties and pains and out of it, find the revelation of God. And out of that now, they have written this beautiful poetic uh, letter and these poetic songs that now can be sung by people who will go through what they've gone through. It's important that when we read this text, we don't read it simply from our perspective, but we first have to read it from the perspective of the person who wrote it to the person they were writing to for the purpose by which that they wrote it. You guys have been hearing this over and over again. And yet we're reading this from people who were oppressed, from people who were going through difficulties and challenges. Um, um, we, we haven't talked about Asaph. We haven't talked, but we talked a little bit about Solomon and what he went through. We talked a little bit, a bit about David and what he has gone through, a little bit about his story and his life. But we also know the story of not just David, not just Solomon, not just the kings, not just some of the prophets that we hear, some of the authors that, that wrote the Book of Psalms, because the Book of Psalms wasn't written by one person. It's a collection of people. It's just literally just an amalgamation of of letters, you know, that they just kind of, sorry, of, of songs that they put together that people would sing. Okay, just imagine these people singing these songs and imagine these people are scattered all about, all about Mesopotamia, scattered all about Asia Minor, which is present day Turkey, scattered all about 
Northern Africa. And yet the one thing that they had was they had these songs and they would sing these songs. And they would sing them over and over and over again. And yet these people who life seems to have lost, just, just lost its equilibrium, um, lost direction where this is not how it was supposed to go. Okay. Let's just think about this for a second family. These are people singing a song, but these people are confronted with this reality that this is not how it was supposed to go. I gave you a little bit of the backdrop, a little bit of the story. Israel becomes a nation. But because of their disobedience, they've been divided because of David's disobedience, because of David's sin. That's right. David was not perfect. As a matter of fact, David was barely a hero. We make David a hero, but when you read David's story, it's more of a tragedy. And yet God gets the glory even through that. When we read the story of Solomon, we read a tragedy. We see the nation of Israel has been divided into two. We got the northern region. We have the southern. And then it gets divided. The kings up north didn't represent God or his justice or his righteousness. And the kings down south didn't do much better either. Even though the covenant went through them. Because how do we know the covenant went through them? Because, again, who would be the Hebrew? Who would be the what the Hebrews could not be? The one who would be the Hebrews for which out of the seed of Abraham would be the seed now that bore the seed that would bring all nations and all ethnicities and all cultures and all nations together. That seed would come through David, the messianic king, the one who would reign, the one who would rule, the one who would show what the world would be like. This is what they were anticipating. This is what they were waiting for. This is what they were waiting for. And yet now it would happen through Judah because he is the lion of Judah. The prophets later on that you're going to hear later on will confirm this, that he is the root of David, the lion of Judah, the root of David. So through David, through Solomon, through Judah, right, would come this messianic king. We haven't seen that king yet. But while we wait for this messianic king, while we wait for this king, life isn't going the way we anticipated. Huh. We were a nation, but now we don't even have a nation. We're a nation of people scattered all around the earth. We're people who know who we are, know what we've been called to, but let we live in exile. These people were at the bottom of the social rung. These people were at the bottom of the cultural rung. These people were not esteemed. These were pariahs. I think we forget that. The, the chosen people of God. Pariahs. Pariahs under Ethiopian rule, pariahs under Assyrian rule, 
pariahs under Syrian rule, pariahs under Persian rule, pariahs under Turkish rule, present-day Turkey at least, pariahs. These people were disenfranchised, no rights, none of that. And now here they are speaking about how their land was taken away, how they've lost so much. That's actually when we open up the, the third book as you were reading it, family. I hope you guys noticed that. Yes, we open up with the God is the rock. It's, it's, there's, a, there's a strong close to the second book, but then the third book as it opens speaks about this tragedy. And, and the tragedy is a story that I just told you. These were weird people. These, these weird people are speaking about this tragedy, this, this, this brokenness, this, this pain, and, this, and this, this thing that confounds them, that the wicked are prospering. And I've been seeing this theme over and over again. I know some of you guys have been writing it on the, the chat, and, 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 and I don't know why, but it's, it's, it's been a common question like over and over again, it's a common question um, that I see on, on the chat. But there are a bunch of people now asking the question of, you know, why is it that the wicked prosper? Why is it that it's the it's it's the bad people that live long? Why do the good people die young? And why is it that you know we we see we see um you know people who who aren't faithful to God and faithful to the gospel and faithful to Jesus, why are they suffering? And why are they prospering? This was the question that they're asking in Psalm 73 is, is we're, we're your children, God. We are the children of the most high God. We are the children, the chosen people of God. Why is it that the wicked are the ones prospering? Well, why are the why are the wicked the ones eating, enjoying life? And why is it that they insult the God we serve? Just think about this. Like put yourself in their shoes for a moment. Right? Put yourself in the shoes of the people who are singing these songs, the mixtape of the oppressed, the book of Psalms, and imagine them singing this song. Some of us know exactly the question. Why? For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no pangs in their death. Their strength is firm. Look what he's saying in Psalm 73. They are not in trouble as other men. They're not plagued like other men. Their pride serves as their necklace. Their violence covers them like a garment. They keep doing bad things. They keep manipulating. They keep oppressing. And yet they keep prospering. Is there anybody here who knows what I'm talking about? Is there anybody here who knows what I'm talking about? Who wrestles with that question? God, why are the wicked perishing? Why are the wicked succeeding, but the righteous are perishing? It's backwards. It seems backwards. And notice that they're asking this over and over again. And then he says, behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. Come on now. I, can we just be real? Like I'm talking to some people right now. 
we're, we're, let's talk. We're opening the third book of this, uh, of, of the book of Psalms. This is the third book of the book of Psalms, Psalm 73, opening it up. And some of y'all, come on, let's be real. We've asked it. We've said it. If we haven't, we've thought it. We just never went to God with it. That's just a reality. We went to God with it. And some of us have been asking this question like, surely I've cleansed my heart, but I feel like I've cleansed it in vain. I wash my hands in innocence, but I've been plagued and chastened every morning. I can sit on this chapter, just this one right here. There's some people right now who know what that looks like. When you're sitting there, you're going, how is it that I know I've been chosen by God? I know I've been called by God. I know and I hear the voice of God and I've submitted my life to God. And I've given it all to God. But I feel like I'm doing this all in vain because life ain't going the way I thought it would go. The wicked seem to be prospering. But I'm failing. I'm going through pain. Life isn't going the way that we thought. To the point where life seems, you seem to be losing your grip on life. Look at verse 16. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Let's be real. Man, I might just sit on Psalm 73. I wanted to go into the next one, but I want you to I want you to really dig into what this author is saying. The guy who wrote this song, Asaph, just listen. Listen to what he's saying. Every time that I'm trying to make sense of it, it's too painful to even think about. There's some people here like, man, I don't know if God knows what I'm going through. I don't know if God knows my pain. I don't know if God knows what I'm dealing with. The scriptures tell us God knows exactly what we're dealing with. The scriptures articulate to us clearly that God knows exactly what we're going through. There's no thought that you have that, that, that misaligns with God. He knows exactly what you're confused about. He knows exactly what you're trying to work through. He knows exactly what you're dealing with. And, and he knows that there are those of us here who feel exactly like this author. Who knows exactly, who, 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 who's basically experiencing what we've all experienced. Maybe I'm just, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. Maybe some of you, maybe some of you, you're good. You don't even deal with it. That's cool. This is for the person right now who knows exactly what this, what this feels like when you say, I've thought how to understand this. Every time I try to make sense of it, it just hurts. I don't even want to think about it. Ah. But here's your word of comfort. The verse right after it. He says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. It was too painful until what? Until I went into the sanctuary of God. 
Then I understood their end. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, the sanctuary of God. I just want to make sure people understand where I'm at. When Psalm 73 and reading verse 17, I want to make sure you, you, you understand where I'm at here. The sanctuary of God is not going to your cathedral in, in, in the corner. It's not going to the church that you have in the corner. It's going into the presence of God. He says, it was all too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Some of us are trying to understand and trying to make sense, but we don't know how important it is for us to dwell in the secret place of the Most High, to dwell in the sanctuary of God. And people ask, well, what is the sanctuary of God? Is it a place? It is the secret place. It is what Jesus calls the secret place. Notice when Jesus talked about prayer, notice what he said. He said, he didn't just say pray in secret. He said, pray in the secret place. Jesus was teaching about a principle of prayer. That when we pray in the secret place, it's not the same thing as praying in secret. You can pray in secret and not be in the secret place. The secret place is a location. He who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide abide under the shadow of the almighty. I know I'm getting ahead of myself because we're, 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 we're still, you know, we got to get to Psalms, Psalms 91, because that's Psalms 91. I understand that, but you're already seeing what's happening here. And you're going to see as we journey through the Psalms now is they're telling you that the way we endure is to go into the sanctuary of God. is to go into the presence of God. Can I just give you, uh, this is, you know, I know I'm not supposed to go into full teach mode and I won't do that because I'm trying to avoid the temptation to do that. I'll leave that for Patreon, Patreon given that now you guys are going to give me more opportunity to do that. Um, but when we, when we talk about the secret place or we talk about prayer, the best way for me to describe prayer is prayer is the practice and the activity of the presence of God in your life. Did you hear me? Stay with me, fam. I'm just trying to keep it as practical as I can. How do you pray without ceasing? Like, how is it possible to pray without ceasing? When the scriptures tell you, pray without ceasing. How is that possible? Like, I'm not praying right now. I'm, I'm making a TikTok. How is it possible then to pray without ceasing? Is prayer just talking to God? That's the question you got to ask. Because if prayer is just talking to God, then yes, it's impossible to pray without ceasing. Ah, but if prayer is the practice of the presence of God in your life, then you can't stop praying as long as you make God present in all that you do. We ought to enter into the presence of God and to carry the presence of God everywhere. It is a continual 
access to God. That is prayer. Did you hear me? That is prayer. Prayer is making sure the radio stays on. Prayer is actually to be in the presence of God, to be continually connected to him. That's prayer. And there are many of us, when we wrestle with some of these questions, we're not getting clarity on it because we're trying to make sense of it and we're trying to take control of it. And so when we're trying to make sense of it, the reality is, is we're trying to make sense of it by taking control of it. There are those of us who are wrestling right now with, well, how could, how could, um, you know, um, good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people because our measure of justice is still based on performance. We talked about it, go through, listen to Job, because there are a lot of us who are still confronting this way of thinking of perform reward. You do good things, reward. You do bad things, punishment. We still live a reward punishment reality. And let me tell you something right now. It is hard to be a bona fide Christian with a reward punishment mentality. It is almost impossible because what the grace of God does is the grace of God destroys the reward punishment mentality. If Jesus died on the cross for your sins, not one sin you commit should punish you. If Jesus died on the cross for your sins, then not one sin you commit today should be a reason for punishment from God. And if that is true, stay with me, then the same thing must apply for reward. Not one thing you do is a reward from God. It is the grace of God. <laughs> so now, when you understand that, right? When you, when you break from that mindset, then you don't wrestle with the question is, why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? Because notice what you're doing there. You're still equating the kind of person to the kind of reward. Papayo, premeditated sin, Jesus paid for. Okay? Let me make let me make it let me make it let me make it plain for you. I'm gonna make it plain for everybody in this room. And there are some people that aren't gonna like it. Jesus paid the price for all of your sins, all of your sins, past, present, future, even the ones you are premeditating right now. Jesus died for it. <laughs> all. I don't care if you thought about it, if you planned it, if you 
premeditated it, if it happened by accident, if you slipped up, if you this, Jesus paid for it all. So therefore, our walk with Jesus Christ is not about our performance, because if it is about our performance, what we can, what we say is, is we say, well, man, let me make sure I live right now. Because if Jesus died, if I accepted Jesus into the, into my life, I'm going to make sure now I do the right thing so I don't lose hell. Well, then what was the point of the cross? So the cross was conditional. No, we don't sin so that we don't go to heaven. Heaven is already ours by faith in Jesus Christ. We don't sin because we love him. See that? See the difference? That's the difference. A lot of us don't love him yet. <laughs> oh, God. A lot of us don't love him. Did you hear me? A, a lot of us, we don't love him. No, we, we don't, we don't love him, love him. No, no, no. A lot of us, we just, God, just give me my ticket to heaven and, and, and I'm going to be all right. Oh man. That's the problem with legalistic Christians. Man, this sin debate, goodness gracious, this sin debate. You know, you could, you could avoid sin. You can stop sinning and make yourself think that you're going to heaven because you stopped sinning. When if you committed one, you committed them all. And you can make it all about whether you're sinning and not sinning. Only to insult the cross as if the cross didn't pay the price for your sins. And if you're, if you keep sinning, even after you know what the cross has done for your sin, my question is, are you just looking for a ticket to heaven? Because if you're looking for a ticket to heaven, you got this all wrong. Jesus wanted to have a relationship with you. And I realize a lot of us, we have sin issues because we have love issues. We have sin issues because we don't truly love him. Because if you loved him, like loved him, loved him, you would change. Like if you, if you loved him, loved him, you would change. Not because, man, I want to make sure I don't go to hell. Whew. I'm sorry if I dig in. I'm ranting. I'm out of time. I'm going to get to my point, hopefully. Um, let's just be real. This is, you, you just want to take it to heaven. That's it. You, you, you want to know what you need to do in order to go to heaven. Forget about the person who wants to have a relationship with you. Forget about the fact that he wants to know you and he wants you to know him, like know him. Forget about that. Like forget about that. You just want to take it to heaven. That's it. So tell me all the sins I, I don't need to be committing. Um, tell me all the stuff I need to do. Make sure I do it all right so that I can go to heaven because I just want to make sure I get in. Forget, forget, forget Jesus. I mean, I don't, I don't. Listen, whatever, however Jesus works, like whatever it is I got to do, tell me what I got to do so I can get in. How insulting. That we're so busy trying to follow rules to get to heaven that we ignore 
the greatest commandment of all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, with all of yourself. And to love your neighbor as yourself. And on that hangs all the law. But no, 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 no. We're trying to obey the law to get a ticket into heaven when he already gave you a ticket into heaven. And if you already had a ticket into heaven, the reason why you stop sinning is because you love him. The problem is, is we still have sin issues because we have love issues. We have sin issues because we have love issues. I'm ranting, but I got to go. I got to go. But I just, I need to just dig into this. All the people who, they're like, man, I'm trying to figure out how to stop sinning. I just, just show me what I got to do to stop sinning. I just need to stop sinning. So that way, you know, I know I'm going to go to heaven. Let's stop insulting God. This was never, this was never about sin. This was never about sin. Did you hear me? Let's stop insulting God. Let's stop insulting the cross. If you're not ready to love him, that's fine. Take your time. But when you encounter his overwhelming love and his overwhelming grace, that love compels you to live the way you ought to live. Nobody's got to force you to live. Now you ain't got to ask, which rule do I follow? Which rule? No, because now you know him. I'm going to give you an example because, you know, I, this is your brother in Christ. Okay. This is your brother in Christ. And so, you know, don't judge me. Okay. I'm just going to ask y'all not to judge me. And then we'll, 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 we'll get to my final point. We ask you not to judge me, but this is your brother in Christ. So, um, but I want you to understand where I'm coming from. Um, I've always been a drinker. And what I mean by a drinker is, is I'm not a guy who gets drunk and gets plastered and gets wasted. I've never been that person. Got wasted one time in my life. Real talk. True, true story. Got wasted one time in my life on my 21st birthday. Went to the bar. My uh, few grad students, I, I was, we were just finishing our dissertation. Uh, yes, I kind of finished it a little early. Um, we were finishing our dissertation and they decided to celebrate. I've been up, you know, you know, stressed, blah, 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 all this stuff. They said, it's your birthday. Let's go get some drinks. I had seven shots, got completely wasted, completely plastered. And I told myself I would never do that ever again. And since then I've never been, I've never been drunk, never been drunk since then. Um, <clears throat> now, but, but drinking has always been a part of my life. You know, I've always, you know, and there's nothing, again, this is not a question of whether drinking is a sin or if it isn't a sin and whether you should drink or not. And blah, blah, blah. We always like to look at all the rules and blah, 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 blah. So I'm going to help you out for a second. And, you know, and I, I, I would like to think that I was progressing. Maybe my, my wife will probably admit that, but I was progressively drinking a little bit more. Um, I was progressively having, instead of having like one drink on a weekend, I, I would have three drinks. You know, maybe one on Friday and one on Saturday. And I started realizing, hmm, I'm drinking more. And then I went from having one drink on the, to, to two drinks to three drinks. And then next thing I know, I'm having two drinks on Friday and then two drinks on Saturday. And I was kind of like, okay, um, maybe it's because I'm watching sports and vibing, chilling, blah, 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 all that good stuff. And then just one day I'm in prayer. 
just spending some time in prayer. And as I'm, I was out spending some time in prayer, mind you, I wasn't, you know, I, I have a high tolerance. I've never been, I just never been drunk, never been wasted. I believe getting drunk is a sin, period. Scripture tells us to be sober. So we ought to just be sober. That's just a side note on that. But there was nothing specific about drinking. And, um, and I remember, you know, just praying and I was sitting outside and I wasn't like on my knees or anything. I was just sitting outside enjoying the sunset and I was just spending some time with the Lord. And all of a sudden the Lord was like, so son, stop drinking. And I was like, really? He was like, yeah, stop drinking. So I was like, okay. <laughs> it was that simple. I went inside and I told my wife and I said to her, uh, so the Lord just told me to stop drinking. And Vanessa was like, well, that's good. And I, and I you know, I, I responded to her. I was like, what you mean that was good? Like what? What? I got real defensive. I don't know where she is. I don't know if she's here. I got real defensive. And I was like, what, what do you, what you mean? What, what you mean that that's good? And then she was like, no, it's, it's good. It's good that you're, you're drinking less, you know? Um, yeah, I just think you, you know, it's okay. I like, I'm like, what's that supposed to be? Are you saying that I was getting drunk? You know, anyway, side note. Um, but I just, I heard from the Lord and I just told her, I said, you know, until the Lord tells me I can can drink, I'm not going to just take a cup of liquor and drink it. So I got rid of the bourbon. I got rid of the, you know, all the rums that I had in the house. So I, I started stashing them just to have it. And so I just got rid of all of it. And then after that, I said, okay. I have a wine every now and then, ever since. It's been months now. And if anybody asks me, is it a sin to drink? My answer will be no. It is not a sin to drink. It is not a sin to drink alcohol. It's not a sin to have wine. It's not a sin to have a drink. It's a sin to get drunk. But you can drink. There's nothing wrong with drinking. But I just spent time with my Lord. I just spent time with him and he just said, son, I, I want you to stop drinking. I actually don't think it's going to be a permanent thing. I think the Lord was doing something in my heart and he was addressing me and he realized something's wrong here, son. Maybe you don't see it, but I see it. And because you're my son, I'm asking you to stop drinking. And I said, okay. And that's it. This is what it looks like to be in relationship with God, to love your heavenly father and to love, like love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul to love him. And in that, in that exchange of loving him and in prayer, he guides you to what you're supposed to do. He leads you. He guides you. The scriptures say that you are the written epistle. You're the written letter. So while you're sitting there parsing through the Ten Commandments, trying to figure out which ones to obey, which ones not to obey, which ones to do, which ones not to do, you know, am I allowed to do this? Am I not allowed to do that? And, and which one am I allowed to do? Just tell me what I got to do to get to heaven. God's like, I already gave you heaven. Now the question is, is, 
be in relationship with me. That's it. I still go to parties and events and things where I've had brothers and friends who who drink. And they ask me, well, you know, get a drink. I'm like, ah, no, nah, I'm good. But there's no judgment. I don't think what he's doing is a sin. I just know what the Lord told me to stop doing. Now, if the Lord speaks to me and says to me to say to my brother, hey, the Lord is telling me, you know, that you, you need to stop drinking, then I will. But again, this is what spending time with the Lord looks like. They go, is it a sin to get tattoos? Is it a sin to do this? Is it a sin to do that? Is it a sin to, 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 everybody asks those questions all the time. And my question is, have you spent time with the Lord? Did you hear me just now? Have you spent time with the Lord in the sanctuary? I get this question all the time, all the time. Is it a sin to do X or is it a sin to do Y? Is it a sin to do Z? Is it a sin to drink? Is it a sin to wear tattoos? Is it a sin to cover your head in church? Is it a sin um, to, to not cover your head when you're in church? Is it a sin? And we have all these things that we ask, like, is this a sin? Is that a sin? And I realize that most people, the reason why they're asking that question is because they want to know what they need to do to get to heaven, what they need to do to get a ticket into heaven. I just want to make sure I don't send my way out of heaven as if the rules determine whether or not you get in or not. And I realized that for many people, the reason why they have a problem with that is because they don't have a relationship with God. So next time somebody asks me, is it a sin to do X, is it a sin to do Y? People ask me, if it's a sin to do Z, is it a sin to do this? I'm gonna ask them, have you been spending time with the Lord? Because when you spend time with him, he'll reveal to you what he wants for you. I remember growing up in a church, I'm ranting and then we'll get to my last point. I've been, it's been taking forever and I'm way over time now. I got to go, but I've just, I'm stuck here. But I had, um, I remember growing up in a church where it was a sin to get earrings. It was a sin to get earrings. It was a sin to get, you know, nose rings and all that stuff. And, and I used to be like, I used to be like, okay, that's a sin. That's a sin. That's a sin. And then I read my Bible. And I remember in the scriptures when Rachel was given a nose ring. And I was like, oh, Rachel was given. I was like, wait, but you, you're not allowed to wear. Wait. <laughs> and I remember like going, wait, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. <laughs> and, and I was just trying. I was like, wait, wait. So, but, but she's, hold on. That's Isaac's wife. Hold on. Wait, this is not supposed to, hold up. <laughs> it was like, it was like, it was a glitch. The click. <laughs> I went, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, hold on a second. And I started realizing that there's just a lot of rules that we place on people to make people think this is what they need to go to heaven and to hell. Not realizing that none of that determines this. It's your personal relationship with God. And so, yes, God is in control. 
Because God wants to do a work with you. He wants to do a work with you. For many of you, a nose ring is not for you. But the question is, is are you spending time with the Lord? My English was God spoke to me through a secular song. Oh man, that's tough. But that's the question. Are you spending time with the Lord? Are you in his sanctuary? Because he says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. I didn't understand. Life was all out of equilibrium. My life is falling apart. Our lives are falling apart. Our nation, it's all just upside down for us. And then he says, it was all upside down until I went into the sanctuary of God. So we need to enter into the sanctuary because in the sanctuary, we gain the wisdom of God because what is permissible may not be beneficial. Just because one person does it doesn't mean it's good for you. And to know what's good for you is not going to be something that your pastor tells you. It's going to be in your intimate relationship with God. Do you desire God more than anything? Or are you simply committing another form of idolatry by getting a tattoo? Or by doing anything else or by engaging? Does anybody catch what I'm saying? So today, my challenge to you is that when you feel like life is out of control, life is upside down, when things don't seem to be aligning, enter into the sanctuary of God. Seek his face. Seek his presence. And you will receive his wisdom. Lord, I thank you. Lord, for each person who's here, Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would do the work. Lord, do the work of sanctifying us all, Lord, conforming us to your image, calling us to what you've called us to, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would um, give clarity, Lord, to those that are asking questions right now, those who are trying to make sense of the difficulties in life, those who are trying to make sense to the challenges that are that they're being confronted, feeling like life is completely out of control. And yet, God, you want to reveal to us that you are in control. If only we would submit to you, submit completely to you. So, Father, rather than trying to take life in our own hands, Father, teach us today to enter into your presence. Guide us by your spirit into the sanctuary of God wherever that is for each and every one of us. And I ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Love y'all. Gotta go. Thank you, patrons. We're way over time today. Thank you, patrons. Love y'all. If you're looking to support, support me on Patreon. We're trying to get to our goal. We're trying to get to our mark. It's patreon.com slash Isaac Frere, patreon.com slash Isaac Frere. You can also go to opusfrere.com to get more information, to subscribe to the podcast, to support on Patreon. Or if you're just looking to donate, um, I would appreciate that greatly. But either way, we are going to be back here tomorrow 
We're going to keep sharing the word. I will be posting this right away on Patreon so you guys can get it. But this will also be available on the Read and Rant podcast maybe a month or two from now. So, um, but yeah, support us. Okay. Pray for us as well. If you can't support us financially, keep praying for Vanessa and I. We need your prayers, um, especially in this season that we're in because God is really guiding us. He's leading us. He's, he's, he's teaching us some things in this season. And so um, just pray for us as we navigate through this new season in our lives. And so anyway, y'all love y'all family. See you guys tomorrow. We'll be reading Psalm 75. All right. Peace out. Love y'all.